many of you guys know um, who I am, but just in case you don't, my name is Rob, and I'm the lead pastor here at Citizens Church. And if you are new, the bathrooms are right there um, in that little hallway right there. If you do need a mother's room, we've got those over there. Or if you just, if your kids are getting a little feisty, which is typically my kids. So if you hear kids, it's typically mine. Um, but if you need to, feel free to, to go in the back. But please know that Sound of Kids doesn't intimidate us. It's perfectly fine. So this, I almost said this morning, this evening, as we look at um, this passage, this passage in Isaiah, uh, we're looking at Isaiah 9, verses 6 through 7. So that's on the front of your bulletin. I'm going to read it again, and then we can jump in. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. It's a famous passage. As we gather tonight and we ask ourselves, what is the meaning of Christmas? This passage helps us understand it. You guys may have heard me say that Christmas is my favorite time of year. And for our family, we start getting into the Christmas spirit November 1st. We're one of those people. And we love listening to Christmas music, love watching Christmas movies, especially this week. Been really hitting the Christmas movies hard. And Lord willing, tonight, watch another one and the next couple of nights as well. But then we'll, we'll cut it off on December 26th because that's just, you don't do that. <laughs> However, the question that we often ask around this time of year, it's always brought up, what is the meaning of Christmas? And tonight, I'm going to let John Piper give you the answer. He says, when Christ took on flesh this Christmas season, Heaven broke into history. Christmas should taste like victory won and victory yet to come. Victory won and victory yet to come. So what does he mean by that? Victory won and victory yet to come. There's a lot to to unpack there. And I think in verses 6 and 7 of Isaiah 9, we'll be able to get a little bit clearer of a picture of what Piper means when he says Christmas should taste like victory won and victory yet to come. So look at verse 6 for me. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now for those of you who may not be familiar with the biblical story, Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And in the first two chapters, everything is great. God makes the heavens, he makes the earth, he puts seas and he puts fish in those seas he puts land animals and he then creates man and after each time he creates he says it is good then he creates man and he says it is very good and all of that goodness lasts two chapters bible has 66 books and many more chapters and all of the goodness that we read in the first two chapters only last two chapters 
Because in Genesis 3, man decides to rebel against God. And now there's an eternal separation between God and man. And so when we see that to us a child is born, it's hearkening back to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 15, which says, this is when after Adam and Eve had fallen, they disobeyed God. God is now talking to Adam and Eve, to Eve in particular. Or excuse me, to the serpent in particular. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So when God is laying out this curse, the repercussions of us rebelling against him, he says that there's going to be enmity between Satan's offspring and and the offspring of mankind. And he tells the serpent that Eve's offspring will bruise Satan's head, a deathly blow. And he tells Satan, the serpent, that you will bruise his heel. He'll strike her offspring, but it's not a deathly blow. And so there's this promise, the seed of promise, the seed of the gospel, in the third chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis 3.15, that there's going to be an offspring that is going to eventually crush the head of the serpent, the one who caused the fall. And now we read in Isaiah 9 that a child is born. A son is given. So it's a pregnant passage. It's a pregnant verse, a lot to unpack there. But at the very least, we've got to see that it harkens back to Genesis 3.15, this promise of an offspring who would defeat Satan. And this offspring, this son, is given names. So the second part of verse 6, if you have your Bibles, we see the names, these four names given to this offspring, to this child, to this son. We see Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Let's walk through those four. Wonderful Counselor. What does that mean? Counselor implies wisdom. That this son, that this child has provided is going to be full of wisdom. That it's not the, the kind of friend who you can't trust. We all have that kind of friend that, that we love. But when it comes to certain matters, we don't really take their advice on things. I had a, a friend growing up, and his name's Lane. I won't give his last name, because that's his real first name. His name's Lane. And anytime we hung out, and he pitched an idea of something that we could do, it was almost always, assuredly, going to lead to us getting in trouble in some way if we were to get caught. Still love this guy, still consider him a friend, not the guy that I typically take advice from. This son that's given is a wonderful counselor. Every piece of advice that he gives is good. Every word that comes out of his mouth is good. And the things that he tells his people are for their good. This is a wonderful counselor, someone we can trust. This son is also a mighty God. So Isaiah tells us 538 years before the birth of Christ that this child that's going to be born is going to be God in the flesh. But not just God, he's mighty God. He fights on behalf of his people. 
He goes to battle for his people. We're familiar with the, the story of David and Goliath, the, that style of warfare where they send one person out and on, from each side, and they say, hey, to, to spare blood, let's have one person go out on each side, and whoever wins will say they win for the, the whole party. So if your guy wins, then your whole army gets to enjoy victory. If our guy wins, then our whole army gets to enjoy victory. Oftentimes we look at the David and Goliath story, we think, oh, we've got to face our Goliath. When in reality, that passage is about someone going on our behalf and taking down an enemy that we had no chance to take down. We're the scared Israelites on the side. We have a mighty God who fights our battles on our behalf. He's a wonderful counselor, and he's a mighty God, but he's also an everlasting father. Now, that term everlasting father, you might immediately, and I don't blame you for thinking this, think Trinitarian, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. This passage is not referring to the Father of the Trinity. So don't think Trinitarian, because it's talking about the Son here. But think, think of it in this way. The way that a father cares for his children. This Son that's provided, this wonderful counselor, this mighty God, cares for his people the way that a father cares for his children. He protects them. He shepherds them. He fights on their behalf. Then he's also called a prince of peace. Now, Charles Spurgeon is known as the prince of preachers, arguably one of the greatest preachers ever to get behind a pulpit. He's known as the prince of preachers, and he said this about this prince of peace. He said those little arms in the manger, those little arms in the manger will one day grapple with the monster death and destroy it. Those little arms in the manger will one day grapple with the monster death and destroy it. This son that is given, this child that is born, is a wonderful friend, a wonderful counselor. Say, mighty God who fights on our behalf. He cares for his people like a father does. And he is the prince of peace. The one who fights our enemy, our great enemy. The only reason we can have peace with God is because one has slain the great enemy that kept us from him. Jesus is the Prince of Peace because he has destroyed the enemy of his people, death. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin, the wages of sin, and we all have sin, the wages of sin is death. We all deserve death. That's what our sin gets us. Anytime you've rebelled against God, anytime you've gone against what God has said is right and what has said is the faithful way of following Him, anytime you've gone astray from that, even for a moment, is sin. That's how God defines sin. And even if you never sinned from this moment on until the end of your days, you would still have sin. And if you have sin, then the result is death physical and spiritual. I was trying to explain, we've been watching a lot of Christmas movies, I told you this, and our three-year-old, Finley, who's almost four, is really getting into the Christmas spirit, which is a wonderful thing. And she gets really excited about the North Pole. And try to, try to tell her, and I, I won't, don't worry parents, I won't go too far here, and try to tell her that the North Pole is an amazing place, and Santa is a, a really cool character. But you know what's an even greater place? Heaven. You know who's even a greater character? Christ. 
She began to ask questions about what heaven's like, and it's like, oh, Finley, you have no idea. You have no idea. The prettiest place you've ever seen is way better than that. She's a little excited. Yeah? And she, and she asks, have I ever been? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you haven't. <laughs> now there's any other kid who came back. But begin to tell her, this is what heaven's like. And she's like, can I go? I tell her, yeah, you can. She said, is, is daddy going? I said, yeah, daddy's going. Is mommy? Yeah. Is sister? Yeah. Is Neville, who's our dog? I said, mm, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> she, she begins to ask, can I go? I said, yeah. But the only way you can go is if, you, if your sin's taken away. And if you listen to what Jesus says, listen to King Jesus. And she said, I, I'll listen to King Jesus. <laughs> and, and I asked her, have you always listened? She said, no. I said, so does that mean you have sin? She said, yeah. And she began to see that there's a problem. And each of us have sin. Each of us have that, that sin that keeps us from our God who made us. And it goes back to Genesis 3. We all have a problem that we have sin and we need it taken away. But if you are in Christ, not only is your enemy defeated, but you've also been brought into his kingdom. As I'm telling Finley, our daughter, what his kingdom is like, what heaven is like. She's, trying to get, she's starting to get excited. And I'm trying to get her excited. I want her to long for heaven. And so not only are we given a son, but we're also given a kingdom. Look at verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There will be no end to his government, the area in which he governs over, and to the peace that comes with his governing authority. There is no end. It continues and continues and continues and continues and continues. Where Jesus' kingdom is, where Jesus' authority is, there is peace. And as it grows, peace grows. True and lasting peace is only found in this provided son, in this provided child. So if you're anxious tonight, there's all kinds of busyness going on. Maybe this is a difficult time of year. If you find yourself not having peace, I would encourage you to consider Christ. And Christian and non-Christian alike experience this. Christian consistently has to go back to Christ. Consistently have to give our cares over to him, to depend on him, to trust in him, to take refuge in him. Nahum 1.7 says the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. He's a refuge, and he cares for those who trust in him. We just hit on that in this passage. The prophet Nahum is saying the same thing. He's a refuge, and he cares for those who trust in him. Are you trusting in him tonight? Christian, are you trusting him with every part of your life? This Christmas season is a wonderful time to consider what parts of your life you may not be submitting to the, the rule and authority of King, of King Jesus. If you're not a Christian, what's keeping you from submitting yourself to this good King? 
where everywhere he rules in governing authority, there is peace. What's keeping you from submitting your life to this good prince of peace? When he talks about on the throne of David a little bit later. So we see in verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. This is fulfilling a passage where God made a promise to King David. He's telling him that if you follow me, there will always be someone on the throne. I will establish his kingdom. And so when this passage talks about there's a son who's going to rule, who's going to bring good governance, wherever his governance is, there's going to be peace. And then we see that there will be no end on the throne of David, there's that that throne of David thrown in there, it's to make us be reminded of the promise that God made to King David. I'm going to read this passage where he makes that promise, and as I read it, consider how Christ fulfills this. This is in 1 Chronicles 17, verse 11. This is God talking to David. And this passage is written over 500 years before Jesus' birth. It says, when your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you. But I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. This son that's been provided, that's in the line of David, that's going to sit on the throne of David, whose kingdom will be established on that, is fulfilling what theologians call the Davidic covenant. This covenant, this promise that God made with David, that there will be someone who sits on his throne forever in a kingdom that has no end. We see this taking place with this provided son. And he does it with righteousness and with justice from this time forth and forevermore. This king that's going to sit on the throne forever and ever is a perfectly righteous king. He is good. We long for good leaders. We see it every four years highlighted. We long for good leaders. This is a righteous king, a righteous leader, and it's a just king. Seeing justice, people longing for justice, people taking to the streets for justice. You want justice. You will only find true and lasting justice in this king, the one who is righteous and the one who is just. God has provided a victor, one who has slain our enemy, one who has, after slaying slaying the enemy, sets up his kingdom. And he rules in righteousness and justice forever. And anywhere his rule is, there is peace. Consider submitting your life under his rule, under his authoritative rule, his just and righteous rule. God has provided us a victor, Jesus Christ. And if you are in him, if you are in Christ, if you are depending on him to take away your sin, and you are trusting him as your king, following him, submitting to his word, then Christmas for you is victory won and victory yet to come. 
We can be reminded that the child has been provided who takes away our sin, who establishes a way for us to be made right with God, but that there's also a victory, even greater victory to come, that we only get the foretaste. We only get the small taste now, appetizer, but the main course is yet to come. If you are in Christ, your battle has been won. Death has been defeated. If you are in Christ, the reward that he has purchased with his perfect righteousness is still coming to you. His kingdom will be inaugurated. And if you are in him, you will be brought in with him. And to be brought in to this kingdom, you must submit to its king. You must give your life to Christ Jesus. To be saved from your sin, you must embrace this child, this provided child that, that has been born. So we gather to celebrate the birth of our Savior. We must trust him to take away our sin. We must submit to him as our king. If you have any questions about what this looks like, I would encourage you, talk to me after the service. I'd love to have that conversation with you. There's also a great book in the back called What is the Gospel? It's a little small black book right there on the back shelf. We have plenty of copies. Even the ones that are out there aren't all the copies that we have because we like to give those out. If you don't have a copy of that book or if you would like to better understand what it is to embrace Jesus, that book is the best book I know to give outside of the Bible. I encourage you. Feel free to snag a copy. That's our gift to you. Embrace Christ this Christmas season. Trust Him as your Lord, as your King. Trust Him as your Savior. Embrace Him as your treasure. Let's pray. Father, thank You for giving us a Son. Thank You for King Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being the righteousness that we need. Thank you for taking away the stain of sin. You have been so kind to us. Thank you for that. We pray that as we go about the remainder of this service that you would be magnified. And we pray that as Christmas Eve tomorrow comes and Christmas Day after that we would fix our eyes on you, our King and our Savior. It's in your name we pray. Amen.